This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I ran a cold front when I gave my truck the rent. Barreling down I-35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space. Be hey there, howdy. Another edition of The Other Side of Texas is here. Thank you for hanging out here on The Other Side. Jay West Texas Leeson, big show for you. As we get in today, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Those of you coming into town, uh, those of you in town, five convenient locations, go to racerwash.com, find the best location for you, and you're going to need it washed after this rain. Some things to say about that. We're giving away two tickets, two good tickets, about the 35-yard line. On the south side of the stadium, well, towards the south side, on the east side, really good tickets to the Texas Tech game. Uh, Stick with us here. I'll bring up a trivia question coming up. 806-745-5800, where you can text in 806-745-5800. Don't call that number. Text that number. And a winner will get two tickets to tomorrow's game. It has rained, and I am. It's rained, and nobody's life was threatened. And what's that about? I mean, how it's. I'm glad it's rained. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the rain. But I'm not used to it raining in Lubbock, and nobody's life is imperiled. But that's what we've gotten. It might have a little bit to do with. The little weather event coming up through New Orleans. But uh, I, I need a life-threatening weather event. And uh, kind of the way that I don't smoke cigars very often, but every once in a while I think, I, I'll smoke a cigar tonight. I kind of got a hankering for some life-threatening uh, weather. Uh, going out now to the program, we're going to have Helena bottomiller Evich. She's a senior political Politico reporter. You know, join us here in about 15 minutes from now. We've got some Regent Gate updates. Uh, Beno O'Rourke's imposter texting out. You've seen all the stories, all the uh, Facebook and, and Twitter screenshots about uh, folks from the campaign uh, beginning to text out, but apparently there was an imposter. Going to get in with that here pretty soon. But where I want to start today is where we need to start today, and that's with a little bit of Rager Gate. Yeah, it's been a while since we got in with some Rager Gate. Um, civil suits have been filed by Ford Motor Credit. This from KCBD here in Lubbock. Ford Motor Credit has filed a civil lawsuit against three entities and two people who were not listed in the Rager Dykes Auto Group bankruptcy. 
Yeah, so those two people were. Uh, last week, an extension was granted to Rager Dykes Auto Group to respond to the lawsuit filed against them. The Ford Motor Credit's complaint says they're owed $40 million. Federal Judge Sam R. Cummings granted, in part, a motion to extend the deadline for the Rager Dykes Auto Group entities which are not involved in the Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The entities not involved are Bart Rager, Rick Dykes, Rager Dykes Auto Mall at 19th and Avenue Q, Rager Dykes 2 at the same location, and Rager Dykes 3, which is Rager Dykes Auto Group next door there on 19th and K. Uh, skip down in the story. The civil lawsuit states on September 14th, which is one week from this particular broadcast, the extension ends. Those involved must answer the complaint by Ford Motor Credit. If Rager Dykes Auto Group does not respond, judgment by default will be entered against Rick Dykes, Bart Rager, and the three businesses. So some drama coming next week. We can go ahead and not do show prep for for one show in particular. We know that already. Uh, but another intriguing thing that I saw um, was that yesterday, KCVD again put up another story, and it was that there's a hotline now that you can call in. You can call in to a hotline and get your questions answered. Now, my understanding of the hotline is that, uh, let me just read for you the news release. Ringer Dykes Auto Group is very appreciative of our customers. We sincerely regret that any customers have been negatively impacted by the situation beginning today. We are establishing a customer meeting process at our downtown Lubbock headquarters. All you need to do is call a number, and it says that the number is 806-776-8700 to talk with somebody and then get a face-to-face meeting. Now, my understanding is that there are hundreds of folks out there with title problems, with lien problems, maybe they had some WEOs uh, where they had to go get their vehicle fixed. And all of those customers now are in limbo trying to figure, maybe the WEO is uh, through Ford, I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is that this is very intriguing. So let's let's just take a second here and let's call up the hotline, shall we? Uh, to see how it's going to work, uh, let's get out the phone and 806 Okay. All right. Let's see what we got here. Here. 
Thank you for calling Rager Dykes Auto Group Self-Help Line. Self-Help? We appreciate your call. Currently, all representatives are busy. Please hold. What are they they busy? We appreciate your interest in Rager Dykes Auto Group Self-Help Line. For more information, please hold. Rager Dykes Auto Group Self-Help is all about... That'd be great! We just needed a little title help. We we wanted to ask for listeners. What's going on? And that's the help we get a self-help line? Come on. Really? That's all we get? Huh. Hmm. Guess they, uh, guess they showed us. Uh, We'll see what's shown next Friday there. Little self-help line. Come on. I'm going to take a quick break and get back in with some other news and notes. we got Helena Bodomilevich about 10 minutes from now. I want to talk about a couple of other stories. Again, we're giving away two Texas Tech tickets. <laughs> Self-help line. Uh, stick right with us here. As, uh, we'll be back here in a couple of minutes right here on the other side. All I know is you got to keep trying. Hey, welcome back in. It was Rave On Day today, the 82nd birthday of Buddy Holly. Dress the kids up like 50s today. This morning, they go to Roscoe Wilson here in Lubbock. And uh, good to celebrate Buddy. Also good to tell you the other side of Texas, sponsored by the law firm of Mullen, Horde, and Brown, LLP with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas, employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation. I can't read that text. Banking, financial restructuring, and employment law and estate planning. I'm going to get in with Helena Bonamiller-Evich here in just a moment. Um couple other, go ahead and throw out that trivia for you. Wrote a piece, dropped last night. Other side of Texas, two tickets to the Texas Tech Lamar game tomorrow, 3 p.m. Here's the trivia question. About which region did I write last night? Uh, go to othersideoftexas.com, 806-745-5800. You text in the correct regent, and uh, you get two tickets. And uh, go ahead and pile them in. First one in, 806-745-5800. Two tickets to the ball game tomorrow. Did write about, well, I can't talk to you about that now until, no. 
come on. It's on othersideoftexas.com. Just go check it out. Um, there is a story that may be coming up on Texas Tribune that's tangential to what we're talking about here. Uh, waiting for that piece to drop there. It may come tonight. It may. Tracy, you're right. You're right. We will text you information on how to get those tickets. Um, it was a piece about uh, Rick Francis, Frederick Francis, uh, there in El Paso. Touch on it now, and uh, we'll get into it a little bit more after uh, we talk with Helena bottomiller Evich. But look, on this thing, and here we are into um, going, moving from Rager Gate and that self-help line uh, towards Region Gate. The girl who um, look, here's the deal. The piece, you're going to love those tickets, by the way, Tracy. The piece is this. It lays out for you very plainly business relationships that Rick Francis has in El Paso. And it's between three groups. One's a trust, a foundation, and then this other rinky-dink group that the foundation raise monies, raises money for. And it's pretty, it can easily be logically deduced that the three work together. And the trust has people, um, can't remember off the top of my head. I think three folks there on uh, Rick Francis's bank board. He's the chairman and CEO of West Star Bank in El Paso. And the people that are involved with this trust that as of 2016 had $65 million in real estate assets and was proven to be a major downtown property owner by the El Paso Times when the documents were released related to a lawsuit in 2016. Don't want to get too far into the weeds, but as I've said before on the pro, I talked about this a little bit earlier this week. If you're just tuning in, uh, it's fairly apparent that there are more than a few conflicts of interest whenever it comes to a dental school in downtown El Paso landing a dental school and a dental school that can, according to the president of the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center in El Paso, garner some between 60 and $109 million a year. That begins to matter. And if that's the annual economic, local annual economic impact, then that is something noteworthy, especially if you're if you're in business relationships, and I would say that someone that's on the bank board has a business relationship with the CEO and chairman. And so then you begin to, in all of these unanswered questions, begin to make some sense of why Francis was so persistent, why Francis fought so hard for the dental school when the ultimatum came down that we reported about. And I understand that the governor was in Amarillo yesterday or so, uh, said emphatically that 
categorically denied that he ever put down an ultimatum and was not even asked the question. So I appreciate the governor's people listening to the program, uh, reading our stuff. But and that's he's technically right. He did not, but somebody under his authority did, according to sources, uh, put down that ultimatum. Uh, and I, this is my big, big thing here. The big thing, before we get in with Helena Bonamiller-Evich here, is that something prompted the governor. And what that was, I am not sure. Uh, it was forces, it was something outside of the governor that prompted him, or someone there, to put down the ultimatum. And that's the big story going forward. Don't get lost in the Francis stuff. Francis needs to resign or address what was laid out uh, on the we- by us uh, in the story last night. I-, I doubt that he will. If he doesn't, he needs to resign. The conflicts of interest are plain enough. But the bigger story, the bigger fish, the Moby Dick in Regent Gate is what happened there and what forced this crisis in the first place of vet school or the dental school. Uh, We'll pick back up on that here in just a few moments. But first, we want to get in with our friend, Politico Senior Agriculture Reporter, Helena Bottomiller-Evich. How are you, Helena? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, Good. Is it, what time is it where you're calling from? I'm just going to say it's 6.20, and I just poured myself my afternoon cup of coffee that I usually have at 3 p.m. It's been a little bit of a uh, hectic day. Why? Why has it been hectic? Um, Is anything—here, i I got a more immediate question. Go Uh, ahead. Anything in the coffee? (laughs) No. Okay. Just black. Okay. All right. Just asking. Uh, because that would that yeah. would help underline just how hour. hectic the day was. Uh, but oh, why was it a hectic day? Well, just th- this morning um, I went on C-SPAN and did a 30-minute interview with Bloomberg's Alan Birga with um, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue. And he actually um, gave some pretty interesting answers. So my day was spent spinning up all the content um, from that interview. And and I know we're going to talk about the the aid package. We did talk about that a little bit, so we can. So he did a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So you just on Purdue's on Purdue's heels here all day long. Um, <laughs> let's cue it up. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Purdue announced twelve billion dollar program to help farmers currently bearing the brunt of President Trump's trade. I'm reading from a script here, but uh, trade war, trade tactics. Purdue uh, said the funds will be paid through three programs administered by the USDA. Um, And the quote, here's the quote. This administration will not stand by while our hardworking agriculture producers bear the brunt of unfriendly and illegal tariffs enacted by other nations. Uh, the $12 billion is, quote, directly in line with estimated $11 billion impact illegal tariffs are having on farmers, according to Purdue. So 
Uh, tell us a little bit about the political messaging here and get in. Let's get into the weeds a little bit on how this $12 billion will be distributed and to whom. Yeah, this aid package has been, um, I think, fascinating everyone in agriculture world the last um, couple of weeks because $12 billion is a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it is, um, as far as we can tell, the biggest, like, aid package directed at farmers, um, you know, single aid package that, that anyone can remember. So it's, it's, it's a good chunk of money, um, and how it will be distributed is always the question as people sort of fight over the, the pie of resources. But what we just saw last week is USDA outlined, um, so they, they're going to um, authorize up to $12 billion in aid. You mentioned the $11 billion in sort of pain that farmers are already feeling. Um, but last week, what they did is they outlined how they're going to spend the first $6.3 billion. And uh, they're basically saying this is the first installment, and if, you know, things don't get better, then more money will be down the pipeline. Um, but with that $6.3 billion, about $4.7 billion of it um, is going to be direct payments to more traditional uh, commodities like cotton corn, uh, soybeans, pork, sorghum, wheat. Um, dairy would also get some money. And then about $1.2 billion of that will be um, purchasing commodities. So trying to sort of throw a bone to the specialty crop um, no. farmers in particular that, you know, that they're producing things and they're being harmed too, but um, they're not going to get direct payments. So there, there, there's a little bit of friction about that. Okay, so let me let's go back to sorghum and pork. Those are the two mm-hmm. that I hear the most about. Uh, yeah. They're essentially just going to be written a check. The individual producers, or or how does that work exactly? Yeah. So what USDA did is they they tried to calculate how much of the dip in prices for various commodities could actually be attributed to the trade tactics or trade war, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. So they basically looked at, like, when retaliatory tariffs would be enacted and um, tried to estimate, like, what the price impact would be. Because that makes that ultimately makes American products more expensive, right, mm-hmm. the tax on our products. So, so they tried to figure out what the impact was. And then they came up with a payment rate per pound or per bushel or per head they came up with a payment rate, and then um, it'll be multiplied by half of a farmer's like production for this year. Okay. So there's kind of some math going, but yeah, you're right. They're gonna get um, they're gonna get checks, and so because of the timing of this, because the details were announced, um, you know, right around Labor Day, and because this is a lot of money, um, there's a lot of critics who are saying, you know, this seems like kind of a political thing to do before the midterm elections to kind of shore up support um, among Republicans, especially farmers and rural voters who uh, might be getting a little wishy-washy with all this trade retaliation and trade pain. So um, there is definitely um, a fair do amount you, of criticism. About do you hear approach. that from Republicans too? Um, yes. And more so from taxpayer groups like conservative taxpayer groups, mm-hmm. um, economists uh, have been pretty outspoken about, you know, what they kind of see 
this program being. Whenever you say taxpayer uh, that's no, groups. There's no question that farmers have, have lost money. I mean, so that's not the question. Um, and this and payments aren't designed to make farmers whole. It's, um, it's to help make them less in the hole. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, so lessen the pain, if you will. Um, but the timing of it is still sort of, um, you know, arcane criticism. Yeah, I mean, we are, what, um, probably a month and five weeks away from early voting, somewhere in there? Yeah, so I actually asked Purdue about this today. Like, you know, people criticize this. This is this, like, pre-election way to shore up your support among Republicans. And he was like, oh, no, this has nothing to do with politics. Like, it's been in the works for months. And um, actually, he was like, he said something along the lines of, you know, September early September is a long way from November. So they're sort of um, pitching it as this, um, it's just um, lining up with harvest season and that's that. Although a lot of commodities won't be fully harvested for a couple of months. So it's not like, um, you know, everyone's lined up at the door right now. um, Because it will be based on your actual production. Cotton's going to, cotton's in here, they they estimate that cotton will get 200 and, 76 million. That would be across um, across the entire cotton industry. No. I don't know if I mentioned cotton, but well, I know. We'll be pulling cotton that. a little bit later than, well, just at the election afterwards here. Uh, down in Corpus and other places, uh, South Texas, I should say, sooner. But it is an important conversation, and I will mm-hmm. remind listeners that within a 100-mile radius of the, the studios where Buddy Holly became famous, uh, there are uh, cotton is a five billion dollar annual economic impact, and that's not small change in this part of uh, Mid America, uh, for sure. Uh, Helena Bonamiller Evich here with us. Uh, tell us, so it, what's the breakdown here? Uh, the taxpayer groups, along with Democrats, decrying it. Is that the the basis? Well, you also have commodity groups within agriculture who are not happy about their slice of the pie. Okay. So we, as soon as this was, um, was released, I mean, we knew that soybeans would be getting, um, the majority, you know, they would be getting the most because soybeans are the number one cost in the U S they just surpassed corn. I want to say last year. I think it's a brief thing. I think corn will come back next year, but, um, so soybeans like, you know, king soy or whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and the prices have been really impacted by um, especially our conflict and retaliatory tariffs with China. So um, the payment for soybeans is estimated to be $3.6 billion out of the $4.7 billion. Wow. Okay, so no one has to do mental math to just know that like, that doesn't leave a ton left for mm-hmm. cotton, corn, dairy, pork, bourbon, wheat, you know, that, that sort of the rest of these commodities, which also, you know, they all argue they've been hurt a lot um, with all of this trade um, escalation, it doesn't leave them with a whole lot um, to divvy up. So corn and wheat were particularly vocal after the package came out, just saying, like, look, this does not, what you are proposing does not cover our losses. For corn, they um, proposed, or this is part of these details, they unveiled corn will get ninety six million. So ninety six million for corn, three point six billion for soy, and then wheat would be one hundred nineteen million. 
And so if you just look at corn as one little microcosm, corn's been pretty hopping mad lately. Yeah. Um, they estimate their own industry. They say, you know, we think we've been hurt 44 cents a bushel. Like the price of corn has gone down 44 cents a bushel um, because of this trade um, trade retaliation. Okay. Yeah. So they say 44 cents a bushel, but corn in this aid package would get a penny a bushel. So, you know, the some of those growers are looking at this going, that is not adequate. Yeah. You've seen some of that come out too. So you've got the taxpayer group who are criticizing this as a bailout that's like political. You have Democrats going, why are we paying for a problem that Trump created? Um, and then you have some, you know, ag groups in general are very happy to have the aid. Like they, there are losses. Like they, they, you know, can measure them and the aid is welcome in principle. But now we sort of have fighting over like who's going to get what slice of pie. And Western states like California, which grow a ton of, you know, specialty crops, California is actually the number one ag state. People don't realize that. Um, just because like a lot of their crops are really high value, like almonds and um, yeah. almonds Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> so anyway, they are—they're not going to get very much out of this deal because um, they're not going to get those direct payments because they're not. I mean, some but that helps substantiate. Well. And I'm just being devil's advocate, but yeah, it yeah. helps substantiate the claim that this is political probably don't expect to win a lot of congressional races in California. So, you know, maybe if, if, if the dole were a little bit higher that way, then maybe maybe you could dismiss, well, this is doesn't have much to do with midterms. But let me cross over there. Something that does matter to Trump, I would think, to the president is Chuck Grassley in Iowa. And Iowa corn producers um, – is you expect there to be a second wave? Now that will really substantiate the theory. Is if there's another payment doled out heading into you know September of uh, 2019, uh, 2020, 2020, yeah. Yeah, if they go hard on corn, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I mean that's a really interesting thought. I had not. Um, you know, Washington's so insane right now. It's hard to think like a couple weeks ahead. But I like that you're gaming. <laughs> out to the longer view i I don't know um certainly people would would raise the question you know about politics if you were given um payment silo farmers ahead of a crucial election i mean um call sonny up call sonny up and you can call the program back and ask them you know you expect there to be a payment out in um uh out to corn in the next couple of years and and that's a yeah. headline. And, and you can mention me in the piece. <laughs> I think you could probably get him on the phone too. You know? I don't know. Yeah. The last time Sonny and I were together, it was pretty tense. So. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it's you know, it was Sonny Purdue and Ted Cruz, and we were in La Mesa, uh, and, and I showed up and oh. you know asked some I questions. Heard this story. Yeah, asked some questions and you know. Just did my thing, but uh, is Ted Cruz going to win re-election? Do you think? Oh, I haven't been man, winning. Man, now yet. you're turning the tables. No, I know. You know, it's so intriguing <laughs> to me about that race, and yeah, uh, I know you got things to do. We'll let you go here in a minute or two. But um, 
what's intriguing in that race is that as much as we don't like politics to be, uh, you know, um, reality television, the fact of the matter is, is that it's a race in which you have a guy that a lot of people dislike and will say that they have uh, very high disapprovals of, and that's Ted Cruz. And so there's a guy that you dislike and a guy that's hard not to like. And I think that that's what's running the race right now. Now, I think that the cruise people are sharp to pick up on Beto O'Rourke going off on these tangents about the flag and about kneeling. And the more he goes ideological, the better Ted Cruz's uh, standing is. But for me, the name of the game in that race is which guy do you like more? Which guy would you watch a football? Forget the kneeling. Which guy would you have uh, some uh, some liquid that may or may not be in your coffee right now, Helena, and and drink uh, and watch a football game? And I think yeah. a lot of people, the answer to that question is Beto O'Rourke. So uh, it'll be really interesting. The, the traditional polls in Texas, I always just add 10. Uh, just in so O'Rourke 10 to the Republican side, no 10 to yeah, 10 to the Republican side, and yeah, yeah. So O'Rourke yeah. may be within 10 points uh, because they say that the race was within plus or minus within error, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting just to see it play out. Yeah, what I'm so interested in that race is um, uh, whether or not he'll get more traction and um rural areas that just really don't Republican, like the Democrats don't want to visit, don't even, like, just written off. Yeah. But he's still visiting. I mean, he doesn't even or something. Um, I just find that approach interesting, and you don't, you don't see that. Yeah, but what's so difficult yeah. about that, too, is that O'Rourke shows up in Muleshoe, or he'll show up in Floydata, or he'll show up in some rural community, and they like them. Like I've talked to people have contacted me and said, I think I'm going to vote for the first time in forever for a Democrat. I like O'Rourke, but huh. I don't want you, please don't put my name with this. Right. And so it's going to be that Trump factor of pulling back mm-hmm. the curtain. Now on the <clears> other <throat> side, <throat> on the other side, those folks are also watching the next day. Uh, YouTube clips of Beto O'Rourke on Ellen DeGeneres' show, which I, d- I doubt he- Ellen polls real high in Texas, talking about how American it is to kneel during the national anthem. And so th- that's the the quagmire that Beto O'Rourke is in right now, that he's taken steps to speak out on those things. Now, here's the big prediction and I didn't realize that you were coming on the show to hear me pontificate about this. No, uh, this is great. Yeah. Do you know what other what other guy under the radar wound up being the Democratic candidate for the presidency back in 2008 was a guy named Barack Obama. And I think that Beto O'Rourke has a lot of weight going forward. I would not, I'm serious, I would not be surprised if Beto O'Rourke was the uh, nominee or the vice presidential nominee on the Democratic ticket in 2020. That's, huh. yeah. 
well, mark it down. I didn't mean to veer us so off topic, but this was fascinating. I, I said it. I need to listen to your program more. Uh, you know, it's pretty, get outside of the pretty popular podcast. We're just trying to lay I mean, down the news. You're really popular. Congratulations. <laughs> well, we're popular. <laughs> well, we get really smart people like yourself on. Uh, so. Well, just look forward to what you have coming forward and appreciate your time breaking down how this $12 billion is going to go out. And uh, I think by and large, farmers fight forces that are too big to fight alone. And so I'm not going to disagree with the $12 billion. I think that it is uh, somewhat remarkable the time in which it's coming down. But, um, you know, just take Purdue at his word there. She is Helena Bonamiller Evich. What is it on uh, Twitter? Is it a- it's H? At, it's at H Bonamiller. So at H B O T T E M I L L E R. And it's German and long, and I can't help it. So That's all right. But I mean, you grew up in agriculture, right? No, more or less. I mean, I, uh, I, have, I come from a long line of farmers and fishermen, but. Um, I did not grow up on a farm. I just, I just love covering ag. I love the people in the community. It's a great community. Yeah. And check out their work, politico.com. Thank you, Elena. Talk to you next time. Appreciate you making time. Anytime, anytime. Thanks. There she is. Hey, uh, speaking of Beto O'Rourke, we're going to shift forward here. And uh, after, well, let me just tell you what we're going to get into. O'Rourke's campaign says that an imposter was behind a text message that surfaced Wednesday asking voters to help people who are in the country illegally. Uh, Somebody just chiming in saying they're with the O'Rourke campaign. The O'Rourke campaign has put out several different text messages, lots of text messages. You for Ted Cruz, you for Beto O'Rourke. We're going to hear more about that story and, get in with uh, you we may just call them up and see who's doing this we'll uh yeah it's it's what we do here we rave on get to the bottom of this stick with us right here on the other side of texas and we'll go stepping out and we'll go Hey, this segment brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. Y'all wanted to get into the scooter controversy in Lubbock right now. And we're going to save that until Monday. I did say scooters and Lubbock in the same sentence. This group called Bird has unleashed all of these. It's like the Uber equivalent of scooters. They don't have a license to operate in Lubbock. They just dropped it and hoping that they get a bunch of folks riding them so that uh, Lubbock City Council and others, Texas Tech, LCU, have to go in and uh, change up the rules for them later. But we're going to save that for Monday. Maybe get the city manager in Lubbock on with us to talk about uh, all of it. I mean, somebody was killed. I understanding a couple of days ago, 
somebody killed on one of these things in Dallas. We even have some Mike Leach audio that we're going to play for you about the dangers of riding a bike, much less a scooter that goes 20 miles an hour um, on the streets of Lubbock. In the streets of Lubbock, that, it's just peril. I mean, absolute peril. It's like runways with stripes on them. Folks will die. And um, I, I don't say that lightly. I mean, this needs to be looked at. But I heard somebody today giving an over-under of October 1 before somebody gets wiped out on one of these things. Uh, it's a total Austin move. And, uh, you know, you got to work closely with folks in the biggest small town in the world. Hey, uh, Beto O'Rourke's campaign is saying that somebody is in being an imposter and is sending out messages like this. He's been texting, his folks have been texting, asking if they can count on support, uh, a new kind of innovative move, uh, asking people if they can, if his campaign can. And uh, they're sending out messages, the imposter, something like this. Hi, it's Patsy here with Beto for Texas. Our records indicate that you're a supporter. We are in search of volunteers to help transport undocumented immigrants to polling booths so that they will be able to vote. Would you be able to offer support uh, for this grassroots effort? This, quote, uh, Chris Evans, a communications director for Better O'Rourke, this is not an approved message by the campaign. It was sent by an imposter we're looking into what happened. And so in in the interest of looking into what happened, here's the number that I was sent by so-called Patsy, 806-758-7326. That's 806-758-7326. Uh, we're going to dial up that number and talk to Patsy now, see what Patsy has to say, uh, allegedly an imposter with the Better O'Rourke campaign. Let's see what so-called Patsy has to say. Okay. Okay. And here we come, Patsy. Thank you for calling Rager Dykes Auto Group. So Wait a minute. We appreciate your call. Wait a minute. Currently all we just are busy. It's the Please same number. We appreciate your interest in Rager Dykes. It's the Auto same Group. number as the Rager Dykes number. For more information. What's happening? Rager What's Dykes happening Auto here? Is all about this is not Patsy. This is this is more self-help. No, we got to hang up on that. We got to hang up right now. I don't, man, they got our goats again right there. Dead gummit. They got us. Hey, uh, who's not going to get you? Not going to get your goat. Might be able to hear about his cows. Brandon Darby coming up about uh, 90 seconds from now. Stick with us here on the other side of Patsy. <laughs> Self-help line. At Smith South Plains Ford, we're all about a better car buying experience. 
We understand that shopping for a car is a big deal, and that's why we believe in listening to what matters to you. Come see us in Leveland, where we have a wide selection of new Ford cars and trucks and an excellent sales staff. Love your car, love your dealership at Smith South Plains on Highway 114 in Leveland, Texas, or online at smithsouthplains.com. Love your car, love your dealership. Smith South Plains. Hey, uh, getting back in as we close out this edition of the program, this part of the program, brought to you by Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992. That's right, secure and safe document storage. What do you got? I knew knew that was coming. For a free and hassle-free estimate, call 806-744-7666. That's 806-744-7666. Today, get rid of those documents. Do it the safe way. There. Where do you live? Lubbock File Room. Appreciate those guys being sponsors of the program. What a great time to sponsor on this program. Uh, listen, we have uh, uh, we have uh, no. We're not going to bring up where listeners live. Uh, <laughs> Um, next week on the program, big cartography discussion breaking out last week on Twitter. Where does West Texas begin and where does it end? And we're going to have Michael Marks from, uh, Michael Marks has been on the program before and, uh, is really good. He's with the Texas standard. We're going to talk about his story and research into where West Texas begins and ends. Uh, we're also going to have Jared Atkinson. This is news to him. I'm going to call him right after the program because we got to get to the bottom of the scooter thing in Lubbock. And I don't know where my friend Brandon Darby is. He's probably somewhere in overalls. But let's cue up the scooter discussion. Daniel, we need a soundbite for scooters in Lubbock. And what a bad idea scooters in Lubbock are. Um, let me just, speaking of, if if you are not familiar, if you're listening, I know that we have a lot of people who listen across the state. I, in Lubbock, it really looks like a runway. The streets look like, a, it's long and they're straight. Like, your city planners had nothing on our city planners in Lubbock. Uh, the way that we design streets. And so they are like runways. They're long and they're straight. And it's real easy to get a speeding ticket in Lubbock because there is there are no turns. You just go straight. And you try to keep in your mind that you can only go 40 miles an hour. And there are other places in which groups like BIRD, BIRD, B-I-R-D, you can download their app. It can make, you can check how much battery is in. And folks in Lubbock have seen these in a lot of places, especially around the tech campus. And um, it will chirp for you, which for whatever reason it chirps. And then it will tell you what the battery storage is on the scooter. And 
it can go 15 to 20 miles an hour. Now, in Lubbock, there's not a real storied history. There's a storied history of of horses, of wagons, and then of vehicles on streets. And so people just drive in the bike lane, and you kind of have to be crazy to ride a bike. Mike Leach was on with us uh, last year. This is what coach, former Texas Tech coach, who believes he's owed a lot of money and may well be uh, on the program talking about his experience riding bikes in Lubbock. Uh, let's listen to that. Did Coach, did you know that they put bike lanes on Broadway in Lubbock? Like, uh, I wish they had them there when I was there. I know the cars don't like them, but um, shoot, when I was there, I cheated death uh, more than once um, going up and down those lanes. And Because uh, the one tough thing about Lubbock, and Broadway's not even the tough spot, the one tough thing about Lubbock is everything is straight. And, you know, understandably, and it's a ways apart, so everything's like 50 miles an hour, so those cars are hauling ass. And then you're sitting there hoping they notice you. You look like everything else, really. And then, um, so you're sitting there pedaling away on space. And then uh, one thing that other places have, too, but Lubbock's got a lot of, is that suicide lane, the notice that, the notion that, okay, I go in this uh, uh, double yellow space here in the middle, and that way I can turn left. Well, heck, the guy coming the other direction may have the same idea. And, uh, no, it's, it's fairly treacherous. So, yeah, fairly treacherous is right. And at least then you're on a bike. You aren't on a, I mean, how many people in Lubbock actually, like, here's the poll. How many people in Lubbock have ever actually even ridden a scooter? And so, oh, there's a scooter. I can get where I'm going faster. Well, have, have you any history with a scooter? I, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be October 1 before somebody gets seriously injured on one of these things out on those hardcore Lubbock streets. Um, This from the Washington Post. Again, we'll take this up again next week, but um, they've been pouring into emergency rooms around the nation all summer, their bodies bearing a blend of injuries that doctors normally associate with victims of car wrecks, broken noses. So what I just laid out was the assumption somebody's going to get hit by a car. They might just hit a fire hydrant. Broken noses, wrists, and shoulders, facial lacerations and fractures, ow, as well as the kind of blunt head trauma that can leave brains permanently damaged. When doctors began asking patients to explain their injuries, many were surprised to learn that the surge of broken body parts stemmed from the latest urban transportation trend, shared electric scooters. And here is the point. I always call Lubbock the rural metropolis. It is the rural metropolis. And I don't... However fancy you think Lubbock might be, those rural counties out there fail, then there are no cattle guard gates around the city. And it's the same with Amarillo and with Midland, and maybe Wichita Falls, Abilene. All those problems begin to come in. We're already seeing those costs with healthcare, but don't let me get off on that tangent. My point here is to say 
that it's a rural history. And guess what's not? No, I've never heard anybody say, boy, my grandpa was a world-class scooter rider. We don't know how to ride these things. We're putting them out everywhere. And I think the Lubbock City Council's right to sit down. And my understanding next Thursday, uh, there's going to be the attempt to bring the hammer down on this thing because you didn't work with anybody and you got to work with people in the smallest town in the world, the smallest big town in the world. And you got to work with tech and nobody needs 20 mile per hour. People who don't have a history on scooters flying down sidewalks. It's just, it's absolute ingredients for a big, big problem. And I don't know I don't know what it's going to take but people have got to sit down and begin to discuss this issue what we've got yeah. here is failure to communicate Yeah and there has been there, it's absolutely true uh people uh, don't let Lubbockites die that's my new tagline with the scooters don't let love now if this is a big deal in your community, Health Center, you know, Cress, you guys, uh, you got scooters out there, let me know. But this is a total Uber move. They don't have a license to operate, and uh, this is going to be a problem. And I'll look forward to seeing what the – I don't pay a lot of attention to city politics, but these things are everything, everywhere right now, and the streets are what they are. You heard Mike Leach, a uh, avid – bicycle rider in Lubbock uh, take away the bicycle put on the scooter and see what happens I think it's I think Leach is right uh, not just suicide lanes but a suicide scooter ride hey uh, Helena Bonamiller Evich appreciate her signing off for her uh, Brandon Darby probably out milking his cow I'm not sure where he went but I'm glad that we had uh, this time with one another just grab your friend's phone Download the podcast. More to come on OtherSideOfTexas.com. Podcast is free. So is the website. Go check it out. Uh, that big uh, Francis piece, Rick Francis piece, where we lay out all the facts about Rick Francis, they're on the website, and and you can check it out. Please share it and uh, pass along to friends. I think it's something that a lot of people will be interested in. I'm going to get home. Got to get home. Great family, above average dinner, headed my way. We're thinking about going out of town this weekend, but we have at least two eyes in the house right now that look as though they are pink and look as though a communicative virus has been spread. So don't know that we'll leave home. Uh, Tracy, congratulations on your football tickets. Maybe we'll give away more next week right here on the other side of Texas. Good to hang out with you. Uh, thanks for telling friends. You hang out on the other side of...